You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another deal analysis. Chris Lopez here, and today we'll be talking about a single family our rental property that we helped a client purchase in Lakewood, Colorado. And my co-host today is Preston Newberry. And Preston is, uh, you know, one of the team members here at Denver Investment Real Estate. And he's often the guy doing all the transactional works, putting the stuff, this uh, deals together behind the scenes. And since we're in a lull at the moment with coronavirus, he's got the time now to hop on some webinars. So Preston, glad to have you here. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's nice to be out of the trenches here for a couple of days and be able to spend some time and go over some of these deals with you and uh, get my voice out in front of all of our uh, all of our clients and people on the interwebs. The interwebs, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, an interesting thing. One of the reasons I want to highlight this property um, was because, as you as you guys know, who follow our podcast or are actually looking at properties. You know, we don't buy a lot of single family homes for rental properties. And typically, when we talk about buying single family homes, and I, I mean detached homes, so you're normal, like, you know, four bedroom, three bath house on the west side of town, those are typically for house hackers and no matters because we see, you know, higher prices over there than we do in Aurora and some other parts of town. However, our investors, they wanted to buy an investment property near their home and they live on the west side. Now, having maximum cash flow was not their main goal. They wanted to have a property that paid for itself, but they're looking more for longer-term retirement planning, and they wanted a property that was close to them on the west side because that's where they live, that's what they know, they're self-managing, so it all makes sense. On the west side, we actually really like Lakewood because last, yeah, last year, Lakewood passed Proposition 200, which really limits residential growth and development in Lakewood. So if you can find properties that make sense over there, I think there's a higher than average chance that we'll see some good appreciation over there. Because what happens when you constrain supply and you have demand? Well, it tends to keep pushing prices up. Now, we might be wrong. Uh, If we're wrong, it'll probably be a Denver average appreciation rate. But if we're right, hey, great. They might have a few more points of appreciation per year in their favor. So overall, um, you know, as I said, their main goal was to build retirement. And this, like many of our rental properties, we found on the MLS. So 68% of their rental properties in the last 12 months, we found those on the MLS. Now, the investment property details, it's a detached single-family home, five-bedroom, three-bathroom. And it actually was not a real five-bedroom because two of the bedrooms were in the basement. And what do basement bedrooms need, Preston? They need egress windows, Chris. And that's always something we really try to point out to our clients, and especially whenever we're looking at stuff from the MLS, because a lot of times agents will list non-conforming bedrooms, but you got to look through the details and look at the pictures to really get a, a feel for what the property is and if those rooms are conforming, especially from a landlord's point of view, that you want to be able to make sure that all those rooms um, are actual legit bedrooms and have egress uh in two different locations uh, so that you can properly market them and, and get the highest rents possible for them. Yeah. And also we always recommend our clients like to put one in now, you know, uh, a lot of landlords don't install them. Um, but the thing there is it just, it reduces your liability and reduces the chances of your tenants having, you know, a, a catastrophic accident. So in the, you know, unfortunate incident where a building or a house catches on fire, the reason, to be a real bedroom or conforming bedroom 
they need two points of egress. So that's usually the door into the hallway and then usually the window to escape. So if there's a fire and it's in the hallway and they can't get out, well, they go out the egress window. Well, if there's no egress window, you may have an insurance, you know, a huge insurance claim on you down the road. Plus, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, hopefully not a tenant that's gotten, you know, loss of life or, or major health issues. So we always recommend doing um, egress windows. I know Press and I were both big believers. Hey, buy a place, make sure they're legit and that minimize that, you know, one in a million chance where those odds are. And typically the cost to do an egress window isn't really astronomical, Chris. I mean, we see for the most part, you know, you're looking around the $2,500 or $3,500 range to put in an egress window. And for me, that's pretty cheap added uh, liability or the lack of liability and not having to worry about those issues down the road. So, you know, we always try to point that out to our clients. And it was listed at uh, $400,000. And we ended up buying it for four hundred two five hundred. So Preston, when you see, because I know you know a lot of the newer investors, especially people coming off Google or bigger pockets, they say, "Oh my gosh, you went over ask price." What's the reality of that? So you know, in the in the Denver market, especially at the time we purchased this, and and still even now, properties that uh, are priced right and in good condition are still demanding a premium in this market, and there's a lot of competition, and we're going to see. Even more of that here is, you know, we see the inventory start to tighten up and, and things to get a little bit different around here. But, um, you know, sometimes you do end up paying a little bit over list price on a property. Maybe they, you know, intentionally marketed it under under market value to try and drive multiple offers and things like that. So, you know, we always run CMAs on our properties. We don't want any of our clients to overpay above market value for properties, but we'll always look at the numbers and come up with a solution that makes sense for everybody and is going to be the most competitive offer that we can put on the table and feel comfortable with. Yeah. And I mean, this is where you can't just, I mean, two things to talk about this is I know a lot of investing books and guidelines and blogs talk about putting in, you know, offers at 90% of value. Well, you're not going to get those. Um, if you put in a thousand, you might get one, but you're generally not going to get those. And the reality is, is you have to understand how it's actually impact the numbers. Because an extra $2,500 a month in the mortgage, and it might be an extra like 12 bucks a month in mortgage payments, it's not going to make or break anything. And if $12 or $30 or $40 a month on a mortgage payment um, is going to be the difference maker of you being able to afford a property or not, you should not be buying a property because your margins are too tight then. So when you actually look at the grand scheme of things of, hey, I get a property, and then I get a property that never still makes sense, this is why you can't get fixated on list price and if you got below, at, or above. Because we get properties at all three, below, at, and above. And a lot of it depends on how well the agent has listed the property. Uh, this agent, if I recall correctly, did a good job of marking the property, picked a good, nice, round price point. Um, and then sometimes, you know, they don't, they overprice it. So a lot of it depends on how well the agent, the listing agent, the seller priced their property. So why we liked it, I mean, as we said, great location. It's in Lakewood. Uh, property was in really good shape. And the bedroom layout was very, very friendly for uh, rental-friendly layout. So contract details. Um, when you were helping them find the properties, Preston, I mean, it was our normal education process. I don't remember anything odd out of this. And our normal education process is, you know, we meet with our clients. Uh, we sit down. We discuss goals, criteria, map out a plan. And then usually what we do, one of the immediate action items on, on everyone's to-do list when we end up is, hey, let's start analyzing properties. We'll send a few recent deals, 
they get lending in place. They start analyzing properties based off of their budget, their criteria, their investment returns. And then they start doing paper analyses, or I say paper, you know, spreadsheet analyses on their computer. They email over to me and Preston. We usually email back, hop on a call, you know, to discuss it. And that's just help them understand the numbers. And then once we do that, you know, two, three, four, five times, uh, we usually go out and walk some properties. And then, as we always like to say, we take the spreadsheets that we did on our computers, and then we go walk them, and we match reality. And there's often, I mean, Preston, what's the best way to say, like, how often is there a discrepancy between our virtual reality and reality when we look at properties? It's quite often. I always tell our clients whenever we're out looking at properties and we walk into something that obviously looked really good on the MLS, that a fisheye lens and a camera are probably a listing agent's best friend because, <laughs> you know, 50, 50 or 60% of the time we'll walk into a property and go, ah, okay, I see how it is now. And it's just kind of one of those things. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you run the numbers and you go look at the properties and it really gives you some perspective on you know, what good numbers look like versus, you know, actual property conditions and things like that. And something that was really important to this set of clients was, you know, they wanted a place, you know, as you mentioned on the West side of town in Lakewood, but they wanted something that was in really, really good shape. They didn't want to have to do a bunch of, um, you know, deferred maintenance. They didn't want to have to do a bunch of rehab. They wanted something that was pretty much turnkey and ready to go. So under contract, we were at above ask, um, and also, we you know we have our ways of running contracts to help us win properties. We call it our secret sauce. So, because I, I will say, we were definitely not the highest uh, dollar value offer for this property, from my understanding. But I know that we had a lot of other things that made our offer attractive, and it was something that really resonated well with the seller. And I'm going to highlight that's a really important point. It's not just who's got the highest price; it is really the overall package of how the contract's written, uh, the agent the buyer profile, the lender profile. Um, There's a wide range of lenders who are really good and who are not really good. And lenders who are really good, um, they help you get deals done. So Preston, you were there for the inspection. What was the uh, inspection like? Yeah, overall, um, you know, this property pretty much was right on par with what we thought whenever we walked it. Um, It was in really, really good shape. Some minor electrical things that needed to be handled, nothing serious. Um, you know, this house was a a brick ranch, uh, which is pretty common over on the West side of town and had a little bit of tuck pointing that needed to be done on some of the brickwork, but again, nothing major, nothing that was, uh, was going to blow up the deal. Um, you know, and other than that, it was just a few little handyman type things. So overall property is very much as represented whenever we walked it. And I mean, for the, uh, negotiating the inspection items, we got everything we wanted done. The seller did it all right. Yeah, the sellers were really easy to work with on this one and, uh, you know, we're very understanding. So, you know, that's that's the nice thing about working with us and our offers is that, you know, we really try to coach our clients to make sure not to blow a deal up over minor inspection items. And so it's, you know, being realistic with that stuff and obviously presenting it in a way that the seller understands that, you know, we're uh, we're just trying to get, you know, things that need to be taken care of done and not anything, you know, outside of that normal scope and, and kind of beating them up over it. So, um, yeah, they were really cooperative with us, took care of the electrical work, had some tuck pointing done and a few other miscellaneous things. And off to the closing table, we went. And talking about financing, they did, they, they went 30 year conventional. They wanted the, you know, the fixed payments for 30 years and they put 25% down. That's to get the best interest rates. 
The appraisal, it came at above our contract price, which, hey, we will always take that. That's always a nice, nice thing to have. Uh, we had $0 in seller concessions, you know, because the seller ended up fixing those minor items we did ask for on the inspection item. And since our clients put down 25%, there was no PMI, and they did not buy the interest rate down, uh, probably because since they put 25% down, they're already getting a really good interest rate. So talking about uh, the spreadsheet here, again, this is a couple screenshots from Joe Massey's spreadsheet that we use all the time here. Uh, so if you want to see, I'll read these numbers, but if you want to see them yourself, click the show notes in the link, and we have them embedded on the blog post so you can scan those quickly as well. So we put in 25% for the down payment percentage. We put in the purchase price of $402,500. Uh, their acquisition costs were only about $1,800. And their loan costs were about $1,500. So 25% of $402,000 is just over $100,000. And then for the seller credits, uh, they got none. And they had about $7,300 in initial repair cost. And we'll talk about what that exactly is in a minute. Uh, so the mortgage rate was 4.49% over that 30-year fixed. Now, something I actually really liked on what they did here for these clients, the way they structured it, is for their down payment, and this is where they got creative, and they know their risk tolerance, and you know they were uh, financially savvy. Uh, you know, all in, they're about one hundred, one hundred ten thousand dollars. We said uh, they used about they used their HELOC on their primary residence, their home equity line of credit, to pay for about fifty percent of the down payment. So they really only brought about you know, I think about fifty thousand dollars, maybe sixty thousand dollars to closing table from their actual like checking or savings account. The other money came from their HELOC, from their primary residence. Now, should everyone do that? Well, it just depends on their, you know, what your profile is. Uh, they were comfortable with that because they have cash reserves, and they just wanted to, hey, they could use that, keep money in the bank, and help them buy a property sooner rather than later. Uh, and they, you know, and they've also got the ability; they're great savers that they are paying down their HELOC to help them buy another property faster. So that's the strategy that they've opted to use and it worked out really, really well. So the rent on here, and this is the actual rent because this property got leased up, um, I think quite a few months ago, uh, was $2,595. Now I think Preston, we were estimating when we looked at like $2,400, $2,500, right? Yeah, I think we underwrote it right around uh, twenty three or twenty four hundred. So we were pleasantly surprised to see that they got uh, above above market rents, and that just kind of circles back around to the initial repair costs and and making sure your property, you know, if you're looking for top rents, that you go in and and take care of all the things that are going to get you there. So vacancy factor, we plugged in three percent annual rent increase. We plugged in three percent. Annual appreciation rate, we plugged in five percent, and that's because hey, we're in Lakewood, west side of town. Uh, What's to the west of Lakewood? Well, you got Golden. Uh, what's to the east of Lakewood? You got Denver. And both of them have higher price points than Lakewood. So a lot of the people that want to live in those areas are now going to Lakewood. So that's very good for price appreciation and rent appreciation. So we put in 25% for their effective tax rate. Don't actually know what their effective tax rate is, but 25% is my default. So you can always download the spreadsheet and put in your tax rate as well. Uh, so that $7,300 initial repair cost, uh, that came from mostly the egress windows, as we talked about a few minutes ago. Uh, two of the bedrooms in the basement were not conforming bedrooms, and our clients wanted to be on the up and up. So they uh, did two egress windows at about $3,500 each. 
and then $160 on some smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors, and $170 to rekey the property. So really, the egress windows were the only thing they needed to do. I mean, a couple hundred dollars on their stuff is is, is stuff we don't usually care about. But all in, $7,330 to get this place rent ready. Uh, and then, you know, we were all pleasantly surprised at the higher rent number that we saw. So $25.95. So going into the next section of the spreadsheet, we're talking about the actual operating date of the property. Uh, I selected yes to property management. Now, I'm pretty certain, Preston, they are self-managing, right? Correct. They're currently yeah. self-managing. But I think the plan is as they build up their portfolio, they'll eventually start turning things over to a property manager. Yeah. So I generally like to write things with property management in there, and that just allows us to kind of keep things to an apples-to-apples apples comparison as we start talking cap rates between different properties. Um, so you'll see here, I generally put it on all the spreadsheets I do. That way we can analyze things a little bit more apples-to-apples. Apples. Uh, but obviously, if you take it out, their cash flow numbers will actually be better. So again, I put a note in there that our preferred PM charges us 7%. And I usually round up to 10% on single family properties to account for some other like, you know, miscellaneous property management costs. Since this is a detached home, we like to use 8% for repairs and maintenance. Uh, and that's because we have no HOAs. We, you know, we're responsible for everything. The sewer, the roof, the windows, the lawn, uh, all that stuff. So we round up to 8%. And depending on the age of the property condition, we're usually between 8 to 10%. But for a lot of these places around Denver, these, you know, 1960s, uh, you know, brick ranch-styled uh, homes, uh, they're pretty well built. So 8% seems to work out pretty well. So no to HOA. The property taxes were $1,917. Annual property insurance is $1,162. As far as utilities, tenant is paying for water and sewer. The landlord pays for trash, which is about $250 for the year, and tenant pays for electric as well. Uh, so question here, uh, 8% maintenance? Yes, that is 8% of rent. So when I was saying 8% of maintenance reserves and 10% for property management, that is the gross rents. So a really easy rule of thumb to remember that we often do for mental math is that for a detached home, about one month's of rent will cover your property management and one month's worth of rent will cover repairs and reserves. Because if you do one divided by 12, I think it's 8.2 or 8.8%. I forget what it is. It's 8 point something percent. So since we're underwriting uh, reserves at 8%, that's just under one month's worth of rent. Is it common for landlords to pay for trash? Um. I think, I mean, from what I see, again, I use property management for my properties, uh, but from my experience, most landlords pay for trash, and that's because it's pretty cheap. Uh, but if you're in Denver, that's part of your property taxes out there. You're not paying if you're in Denver County. Do you know any stats on that, Preston? I don't. I know that it kind of, you know, typically varies, I would say, you know, for the most part. Um, especially, you know, I think it's a little bit unique in the single family world, like this kind of property for the landlords to pay for trash, you know, usually the tenants, I think, handle a lot of that, but um, this is something they wanted to, to make sure that they were on top of and the trash service was sorted out. Typically in a lot of, you know, the HOA communities or townhouses, things like that, that'll all be covered by the HOA. So um, I would say it's fairly unique for the landlord here to be covering trash, but not out of the ordinary. 
So moving on to the last tab of the spreadsheet we'll look at. So all of those expenses puts to about $9,000 a year in annual expenses. So we take out the annual rent. So $25.95 times 12, subtract out $9,000. We're left with just over $21,200 in net operating income. Now their monthly mortgage payment, this is principal and interest because the taxes and insurance are already accounted for under the annual expenses we talked about on the previous slide. So their annual mortgage payment at 4.49% is $1,527 a month, or about $18,000 for the year. Now their annual cash flow is about $2,936, which I said that was higher than we all expected. Always a happy sign to see. Now, as we're just talking about, a quick, a quick rule of thumb here is if we were to, since they're actually are self-managing, they'll be making more cash flow. So for my quick mental math, I would just add $2,600 to this annual cash flow. And now put it at, what, $3,600? put it at $5,600 a year in annual cash flow. $5,600 a year in cash flow on a single-family home, that's pretty darn good in the Denver market. So they should be cash flowing north of $5,000 a year uh, on their property. And when they decide to go out there and get a property manager, they should still be cash flowing as well. So their cash on cash return, again, this is, and these numbers are underwritten with property management. So in reality, they're higher, is a 2.6% cash on cash return and a 5.2% cap rate, which is actually a little bit above average what we see for single family homes. And then going on to the ROI quadrants, the return on investment quadrant, which discusses or shows the four ways of money in real estate. Uh, cash flow, we talked about. Appreciation, if we get that 5% appreciation, that should be around $20,000 that year in equity build. Might be lower, might be higher. Uh, but what we will get, as long as your tenants are paying them rent and then the landlords are paying the mortgage payment, they will be getting a guaranteed return on their debt paydown. Because every single month that they write their check to their mortgage company, uh, part of that mortgage check goes towards interest and part goes towards principal. And the principal is equity in the bank for them. So they'll be getting about $4,900 in debt reduction or in print or equity gain that year. How everyone look at it. It's about $4,900. And their depreciation should hopefully be around $3,000 benefit to them, you know, assuming that they're in that 25% tax bracket. So overall, I really like this property. I mean, what are your final thoughts, Preston? No, this was uh, actually, I would say, more than a base hit um, after everything was all said and done. I think with the increased rents and the overall condition of the property, this was one of the better single family rentals that we've come across in a while. And I think, you know, the long-term prospects of the location and just the overall, you know, area is going to be really, really good for these guys. So I was really happy to see this one come to get, come together. Yeah. And then you put all this on top of that's in Lakewood, you know, which is a overall great location. And then they passed that proposition last year, which just, puts a couple more chips in our favor for potentially seeing some higher rent and price appreciation. So overall, I mean, the Preston said this was well above a base hit. I mean, I know we were happy with the numbers. Our clients are happy with the numbers. And yeah, they'll be buying property number two here in the near future. And then do that a few times, and they got a good chunk of their retirement figured out. Chris, it looks like we've got one more question from Mike there real quick. He just wanted to clarify. Um, so effectively expect uh, a net of 10 months gross rents. Whenever you take into account property management and repairs and maintenance, is that what you're 
asking Mike? Yeah, I guess he's asking about because he asked the question okay. earlier. So yeah, I mean, for those two fields, that's ten months, but you still have to pay for taxes, insurance, um, any utilities you're paying, that type of stuff. So you still have other other questions. Um, great. All right, looks like we answered okay. your question, Mike. So if you guys ever have questions on analyzing properties, finding a property, reach out to me and Preston. This is what we do. This is our niche is we help people find house tax and we help people find rental properties. So that's the, the whole reason we became real estate agents. So if you guys have questions, reach out to us. So thank you for listening. And Preston, thank you for your help. Thanks, Chris.